0: About six years ago, I ruptured my Achilles tendon on my right foot. Um, Unfortunately, I should have said no when 16- and 17-year-olds wanted to play basketball. I should know better. My body says no, but my mind says, I'm going to whoop these boys. (laughs) So I get on the court, dribbling, go for a jump shot, come down on it, and it felt like somebody kicked me. Oh, well, you know, I'm playing with kids who are crazy, so I turn around to see. When I looked down, there was a ball in my calf, the size of a golf ball. And my foot was dangling from the ankle. I took myself out of the game, got the sub to go in. Nobody knew what happened. I walked out on that foot. And I decided at that moment that I had to do one thing, and that was go to the hospital. No brainer, right? But I had a choice. I can go to Brooklyn Hospital, which is right down the block because I was playing in Brooklyn, or I can go to Woodhall. Now, I'm going to say that again. You go to Brooklyn Hospital or I can go to Woodhall. The feeling was that if I went to Woodhall, I would lose more than my ankle. Again, I'm not criticizing the hospital. They got a great labor union, right? You want to have a child? Go to Woodhall. So I decided that I was going to drive myself all the way to Manhattan, the 17th Street, to the Hospital of Sports Medicine. I knew the place because they had treated me before, my back issues. So I drove myself on this foot, walked on this foot, pushed from the heel, and I parked on 12th Street and 1st Avenue, and I jumped in a cab. This was all planned out because I wanted to save my leg. Made it to the hospital. They wrapped me up. He says, next day, you got to have surgery. They knew exactly what it was. They wrapped me up. And the next day, I came in. It was Thursday. And I came in, and I had the surgery. Now, I was awake for the surgery. Because what they did was they gave me what they call a nerve blocker. Anybody know what that is? It just numbs the area that they're going to work on. So from here down, I didn't feel anything. It was numb. It felt good. Straight have- up. I was completely numb, and they did the surgery, and I didn't feel anything. I was watching it on the camera, the guy's talking to me, it's a nasty surgery, but I was glad that I was awake, I to see what they were doing. After that, I got picked up by my family, and they said, okay, we're going home. I said, nah, I got a Bible study to do, Thursday nights, 6 p.m., if you guys don't know, it's Warrior Soldiers, Men, it's a Bible study that I've been doing for about 13, 14 years now, where men gather, and we have a Bible study. And I came here, and I put it right there, and I elevated my leg, and I was fine. Let me tell you something. I was feeling good. (laughs) Like, like I was, like you know, I had a couple of guys make a comment like, "You got to make a meeting now," like all that stuff, right? But I I wasn't feeling anything. The pain was not there. I did the Bible study, and again, I'm not saying that I was brave. I was saying I was strong. I'm saying that that nerve blocker was doing its job. It was taking care of the pain. I got home, I sat down, I figured I'd binge on some, you know, uh, some of the comedy stuff that I like to watch. Sitting on the sofa, I'm feeling good, I'm eating, and it was about 11 o'clock when the truth hit me. The reality of what I had done all day came rushing into that moment, and I was hysterical. prescribed uh, all the drugs that we shouldn't take I didn't care I wanted the drugs no matter what I took it didn't ease the pain I felt good before that in churches there are two kinds of messages and I have either one for you today You can hear something that empowers you and makes you feel good or you can hear the truth and be set free. The choice is yours. I'm grateful that the truth flows from this pulpit on a regular basis. And you can't say you don't know once you've been told. You're responsible for what we give you now. You can't walk in this room, hear something, and then walk out as if you didn't hear, or you don't know. I ask my kids all the time, why'd you do what you do? And I stop them. If I say, if you're going to tell me you don't know, I don't want to hear it, because you know why you did it. You don't want to process why, but you know why you did it. And it's important we understand that the feel-good messages are popular. Why? because they make you feel good, they tickle your ear. It's what you want to hear. You're beautiful, you're fantastic, look at you. You're highly favored. You're the head, not the tail. Ain't nothing going to happen to you. That's why that song is so profound because though you slay me, guess what, though you ruin me, though you take this from me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep my eyes on you, God. And I love the transparency of our ministry because Aaron said, I'm not dead. You hit me enough times. I don't know what I'm going to do. But we don't know what's going to happen until it happens, doesn't it? They say that 10% is what happens to us, 90% is how we respond to it. And we respond based not on our flesh or what we know, we respond on our faith that God is faithful. And whatever you're going through today, I need you to go back three years, four years, five years, maybe a week to remember that he got you out of that mess then. I'll get you out of it now. Why? Because God is faithful. So the feel-good message, ah, you know, it makes you feel good for a little while, like that nerve blocker, but oh boy. When it wears off, when that injection wears off, when that pill wears off, and that's what society is doing today, here, we're going to treat the pain, but not the root cause of the matter. I got a lot here, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish today. I need you to be patient with me. So it's important for us to understand two things, right? We always talk about this constantly, and I say this all the time. There are two movements that we make. You're either moving towards God, or you're moving away from God. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, you're either moving towards God, or you're moving away from God. And keeping that in mind, you have to understand two things. That first message that I said feels good, empowers you, makes you feel good, but it has no resolve, no solution for the root cause of our problem. And at the very root of everything that transpires in our lives is this three-letter word called sin. I'm sinning. It's not murder, it's not this, it's not that, right? Although that's significant, it's trying to live a life apart from God. It's trying to live a life in which you are the master of your own destiny. Trying to live a life in which you have the steering wheel. Trying to live a life in which you are leading and guiding. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what's around the corner. God does. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, but God does. And I know this for sure, that God prepares us for those moments that we have to endure in life. Why? Because God has already set our lives in motion. And he knows what's coming. You don't know what's coming, but he prepares you. How many of us in this room have experienced something that we didn't know was coming, but somehow God was getting us ready for it? Amen. Me too. And I'm grateful. Why? Because when I'm going through it, I don't see it. I'm like, God, whoa, you're busy? You don't see what's going on here? (laughs) You don't don't, see, I'm about to lose my mind. Like, hey, you got to come. Holy Spirit, you got to do something here. Because when you're going through it, come on now, when you're going through it, you're going through it. But God knows everything. And because he knows everything, I lean into him. I trust him. You know, I've learned how to respond and not to react. React is ugly. Listen to me. When you react to things, you can't take any of that stuff back. And guys saying sorry and bringing flowers don't work. It doesn't because you release the power of your words, and it came from somewhere. Its origin, the Bible says, from the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. It's why the psalmist constantly says, search my heart, O God. If there's something in it that is not of you, please remove it. I give you permission to remove any contempt, animosity, hate, jealousy. I need you to remove those things because they don't fit who I'm supposed to be today. So it's important. You know what people don't like the truth? It confronts you. It gets in your face. It demands a response from you. It's confrontational. And some people can't handle the truth. I love that line. (laughs) A few good men, jack niggas in. You can't handle the truth. Some of us don't want the truth. And the truth hurts, doesn't it? Like everybody have told you the truth and you're like, ouch, that hurt. Now, truth spoken without love is abuse, isn't it? Now you feel good about telling me the truth and you walk away and I'm in shambles over here. I'm like, oh my God, why you told me that for? When you speak truth and love and I know that you're for me, it makes what the blow that you're about to give me a lot easier because I know that you're for me. Listen, do you have people that are for you? Do you have people in your life that constantly not only encourage you but they tell you the truth? Because you know that's why you stop being friends with that person because they told you the truth. Come on now. You don't want to know the truth. So today, we're not going to speak a message that's going to make you feel good. We're going to talk about a message that's going to give you the truth that's going to set you free, but it might hurt. I need to grow. We need to grow. And we hear about growing pains. We have to grow. There's, physically, we've grown to the place we're going to grow. The children are over there, they're still growing. But here as adults, the only way for us to grow now is the way we think, the way we act, where we interact with one another, things we do. It's important for us to understand several things that in the midst of everything that goes on, Jesus was trying to create a culture of people that would influence the culture. That's he was trying to do. And it's important for us to realize that culture has certain characteristics. It's not only true for the culture, the American culture that we're in, but it's also true for the church. Traditions that we have. The attitudes and customs and institutions and language that we have. You know, we have a language as Christians. If you're ever at work and you're hanging out with another Christian, and a non-Christian kinds to come in and kind of eavesdrop on your conversation, and you're like, yo, the enemy is at work today, man. <laughs> that non-Christian comes in and says, Yo, who's after you, man? Where's your enemy? Who's wrong here? We know that when we say the enemy is at work, who are we referring to? Baya. There we go. Right? All of a sudden, we get all pent up. And and we're we're dealing with the crazy boss. And he says, he's under the blood. He's under the blood. Somebody who doesn't know that says, yo, who's bleeding? We have a language. As Christians, we have a language. When we take part of communion, the bread and the wine represent something. The early Christians who took communion took it in catacombs and in darkness. And people who eavesdropped and heard them say, eat this and drink the blood, they were like, these people are cannibals. They didn't know. Now, it's good for us to have this language, but it's important for us to understand the language of the world that we're trying to influence. We can't be so high and mighty that we don't engage the culture that we're in. We we cannot think of ourselves having arrived and have a conversation with someone who's a newbie, a person who's just coming around, a person who's just trying to figure it out for you to start saying, you know what book you need to read? The book of Revelations. <laughs> I want us to be mindful today as we look through the scripture that something is happening in this chapter. God is not only involved, but God is for Adam And Eve. Now we get a chance in the 21st century to kind of look at this scene. And and I I love it because um, I I love going to plays and I love, you know, being in the audience and feeling what's happening. And, And when I look at scripture and I walk into this story, I have the privilege of knowing what I know, knowing what happened, knowing that this was the greatest tragedy that ever happened. We are still feeling the repercussions of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And as we walk through this garden, there are three questions that God asks. Three questions. Can we put up those questions? Three questions. First one is, where are you? The second one is, who told you that you were naked? And the third one is, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, That you should not eat. Those are the three questions that we're going to hope to kind of uh, speak into today. Now, again, I promise because of time, I may not be able to finish it, but I'm back here on the 25th. Make your notes, and we'll be able to finish it up. Why? Because I don't want to skirt over this because I said we're going to go into the truth. Not a truth, but the truth that's going to set us free. It's important for us to understand. Listen to me. We need to be free. How many of us in this room are still doing the same thing? And we close our eyes and say, no more, no more, no more. And we close our eyes and say, God, please, God, please, God, please. And it doesn't happen. Has God not powerful enough to do it? Yes. But God has also empowered us to be able to put to death and to lay down some of these things. Why? Because ultimately, your choice should be Christ is sufficient, that what I need more of is of Him, not of that. Why? Because that makes me feel good, but it wears off, and it wears away. And guess what I got to do? I got to do it again. I got to do it again. That's not freedom. That's bondage. That's a habit. That's addiction. That's not what I want to do anymore or be anymore. I want to be free. I want to be free because in order to influence the culture, and as we sing a song that thou you slay me, that no matter what's going on in your life, you're free from the bondage of that. I don't have it going on financially, guess what? I'm free from it, why? Because God will provide my needs according to his riches and glory. I I, I don't, you know, the problem is that you want too much. You want, and God is saying, I'm not getting involved with that want. You want that, but you don't see how much it's going to cost. My son is always sending me high-end vehicles, pictures of high-end vehicles. Yesterday, he sent me a picture of a BMW 6. And then he said, Dad, there's this website that we can go on, and we can rent high-end vehicles. I said, am I a rapper or something, bro? I I'm not doing that. But then he gets hyped up about that, but he doesn't realize the cost doesn't realize the consequences. What happens when you get behind the wheel of a fast car? Go fast. <laughs> Go fast. And you know, there are people on the road that have nice cars too, but they have these lights, and they have these sirens, and they like fast cars too. It's the same way when we look at something and we don't really think far beyond that moment, not realizing that everything has a string attached to it. And it's leading you somewhere. Wouldn't it be wonderful that you're no longer led by something, but that you're led by the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be wonderful that you're no longer led by your emotions and your feelings, but that you're led by the word of God, the truth. You see, God's creative power comes from his word. When he said, let there be light, there was light. And it's important for us to understand that that very same God who created is the very same God that is working things out in your life and in my life. I want to look at the text. I want to read it in its entirety. We're going to read chapter 3 in Genesis. Now, that book I picked only because I figured everybody read Genesis already, at least, at the bare minimum. Everybody in this room read Genesis. So we're going to go into Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Again, I'm going to try to walk through this. Amen? As best as I possibly can to get us to a place that we walk out of this room with a truth that's going to help us as we leave this place. Because here's what I need, guys. I don't need to continue to wrestle and to struggle. God has already made me a victor. God has already given me the power. God has already has laid something out. Not only has, if you're a Christ follower in this room and you have said yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, if you'll confess your sin, if you repented from your sin and realized I need Jesus. He has empowered you. He has put something in you. He specifically said, I'm going to send one like me who's gonna live within you. So I need to speak to those discouraged, fed up, dry Christians, and ask you a question, why? Why are you acting this way when within you is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised the dead, that created the heavens and earth? Why are you discouraged? Why are you fed up? Why are you so dry? And living waters live within you. That's the power. Listen to me. I don't got it popping. I don't got it going on. I know this. I got the toolbox that I've created in the last 30 years. And every now and then, of my own accord, I don't open that box. Because I want to deal with the situation. But when I open that box and I pull out what God Is given me to be able to navigate this culture and to navigate the situations in my life. It's easy peasy. It is. We get caught up in stuff that we shouldn't get caught up in. We're going to see this in this section of the Bible. Can you stand, please, as I read Genesis? Praise the Lord. I need to get you up because I don't need you sleeping up in here. Anybody's, I need, I have, I have to get something to throw at you. All right, I'll, I'll throw this. Anybody fall asleep? Ba-boom. Okay, we're going to read the scripture. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God in thee said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a lie. Next scripture, please. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for the food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sold fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? That is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. God does not ask a question for information. He knows all things. So he's not asking us a question. He's not asking Adam and Eve a question that he needs information about. This is not a question that uh, demands the answer of position or locale. That's not what he's asking. He's asking them to stop and think, to have this moment of self-examination and reflection as the result of what you just did. Notice that the questions come after they sin. These questions are not meant to ask them where are they physically. He's asking them about examine yourself, reflect, stop, and think for the results now of what you just done same question he asked Adam and Eve, he's asking us today to stop and think, to have this moment of self-examination, to reflect, because here's what I do know, God is a loving and forgiving God, but we have to be able to first and foremost realize as we look within that there is something that I just did that kind of severed our relationship. Now, God will never leave us or forsake us, no matter who you are or what you're doing. God loves us. It's not about us. It's about what he's already done and how he's continuing to love us. Why? Because what he wants to do is to draw us near to him, that we would choose him above anything else, that we would enter into a loving, caring relationship with the very God who not only created, but a God who is for you. God who's providing for you A God who's protecting you A God who has promised to heal you And, and it's so important for us to see that, that what's happening here God is not asking for information He wants to stimulate thought. You ever stop by somebody And ask them how they're doing Listen to me Don't ask me how I'm doing If you're not going to stop to listen How you doing bro How you doing Don't do that You opened up a moment where I can be vulnerable, and transparent, and authentic. And if you're a believer in Christ, your role is to pray for me, not to gossip about me. To pray for me, to pray together, to to shoulder my burden, to, to help me get through this moment. You know that you're here as a direct result of people having prayed for you? And people who are still praying? My mother exhausted herself praying. Wasn't even a, a follower of Jesus Christ. She was just done. My mother-in-law calluses on her knees. God bless her soul. God took her quietly into the night. I love that lady. I love her because she saw that her prayers answered in my life. She saw me all jacked up and messed up. But she prayed on project floors project floors, cement, I would go into a house and I would get offended because she was praying. I would go visit her. You know, I got to visit the in-laws. You know what I mean, that's what you got to do. And I would go in and she would be in the room and you could see her with the door open on her knees praying. And I'm like, hey, doesn't she know we're here? Like, where's the hospitality here? Where's the host of the house she was doing? what she knew she needed to do. I'm gonna say that again, because there are things vying for your attention. There are so many distractions. There are things that you're grasping for and moving, and you're not doing the thing that you need to be doing. She got a chance to see me get saved. She, She got a chance to see me be ordained as a pastor. She got a chance to experience that. And and she would look at me with that smirk, that smirk, that like she knew something that I didn't know, that I did not know. Like I said, we've run out of time. We need to come back to finish this. The first question it's not about position. It's about for you to self examine and reflect. It's a self-examination of the soul. How The soul is the mind, the will, the emotions, right? It's what motivates us. What is it that motivates you today? Because the big idea of this whole talk is answer the questions. Where are you? What is motivating you? Why do you get up in the mornings? How do you do what you do? Because until you know the why, you're not going to know the why.